Welcome to Sure Foundation Lutheran Church's podcast channel. The following sermon was preached on May 30th, 2021, on the basis of Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Join me in a prayer. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. What is the parable that that you believe that you've heard the most in your life? I imagine one of them that that climbs to the top of that list is probably the the parable of the, the prodigal son. That's one that, that we hear a lot, uh, probably at least once a year in church, probably in your, your devotional reading too, and it's one that, that makes its way into popular culture around us too. Uh, perhaps maybe a close second would be the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, that, that one even still makes it into popular culture today too. These parables, these stories, they, they stick in our brain and they're supposed to. Jesus understood, the creator of everything obviously understands, that that stories have a power to communicate with people. And he knows that that we tend to remember stories better than than just mere statements of fact. So we can remember a lot of parables, probably. We can remember maybe those two parables. We can maybe even remember some specific details from the parable, which, which is an important thing. But perhaps just as important... Is, is knowing the, the context behind the parable. Knowing why Jesus told the parable in the first place. Because a lot of times, Jesus is telling a parable in response to a question or something that, that came up when he is talking. And he's trying to, to teach people, he's trying to lead people to see something about God and about salvation. And the parable of the Good Samaritan is no different. And so the account begins by by saying an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. So so picture the scene here. Uh, Jesus is standing up and and teaching, and there's there's a group of people sitting down and listening to Jesus teach. Kind of just like what we're doing right now. And, And this expert of the law stands up, and he asks Jesus a question. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so right off the bat, you get his motivation and his misunderstanding. Luke tells us what this man's motivation was. He stood up to test Jesus. He wasn't just looking for more information. He wasn't curious about Jesus and finding out more. He stood up to test Jesus, to to challenge him. We have his, his motivation and we see his misunderstanding. His misunderstanding teaches us that that words do matter. And the precision of your words matter because the words that he speaks reveal his beliefs. He believes that you do something to inherit eternal life. Now, obviously, those two things don't go together, right? 
you don't do something to inherit something. An inheritance is something that someone else worked for that, that is given to you. And of course, Jesus knows that too. But Jesus is going to, to play along. <laughs> he's going to play along with this man because he's going to teach him something. He knows that this man's going to learn something from the conversation that's about to happen, and Jesus is going to lead him in that. And so Jesus says, all right, what, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And the man gives a great answer. He really does. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus acknowledges, yeah, that, that's exactly right. He says, do this and you will live. Now, for, for the, the Lutherans among us here, the, your, your signals go off. Do this and you will live. Jesus, what are you talking about here? Everywhere else in Scripture we see that, that Jesus says that he is the only way to salvation, not, not doing these commands and living. Well, rest assured, Jesus is not preaching a new, a new message here. Uh, salvation is still through him. He is still the way, the truth, and the life, the only way to the Father. But Jesus is going to, to lead this man. Remember we said he, he's playing along. He's going to lead this man to the correct conclusions, or at least he's going to try anyways. And you could see that, that this is starting to work in this man's brain because he lays out the two laws, love God, love your neighbor, and then it seems like this man maybe takes a step back and he starts to think about what he just said because he starts to think about how can I say that I've kept both of those laws? And you can almost see the gears turning in his head. And he skips over the first command, right? And he goes right to the second. He's concerned about love your neighbor as yourself, which perhaps seems kind of ridiculous to us because he skips over the first one, which presumably is the most important, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And him skipping over that law seems to insinuate that he thinks he's kept that one. He thinks that he has done that. He's loved God. But the one that he is kind of concerned about unsure whether he's kept or not, is the love your neighbor as yourself, because it kind of comes down to a technicality of, well, who's my neighbor? Who's included in that group neighbor? That's the context with which Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, And so the parable goes like this. A man is traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho on the path there when he is suddenly jumped by a group of robbers, bandits, who who beat him up, take all of his things, and leave him for dead. And now in in the course of the parable, we're going to see three men, three men that that come upon this nearly dead man. The first is a priest. Now, the the priests were the the church workers of the day. They were the go-betweens between God and man. They were the ones where when you'd come to the temple and you'd bring your sacrifice, they would be the ones that take care of that sacrifice for you. They were the religious men of the day. So the audience that is listening to this parable from from Jesus, if anybody was going to help this man in their minds, it was going to be this this priest. And yet, you see the priest come upon this, this nearly dead man, and they pass by on the other side of the road. The second man to come across this, this nearly dead man is a Levite. Now, the Levites were a tribe of the Israelites, 
And they were appointed by God to be the, the temple worker. So really, the, the priest and the Levite might have been the same kind of guy. This might have been a priest too. Uh, and in the minds of the, the Israelites, in the minds of the Jewish people at that time, the, the people that are listening to this parable, if anybody was going to stop and help this man, it most certainly was going to be this Levite. And yet, in shocking fashion, this man too walks by on the other side of the road. And so at that point in the parable, you, you kind of take a step back and you're kind of forced to a question, well, why? why? Why did these two men who presumably would have stopped, should have stopped, why didn't they? And, and there probably could be a lot of different reasons for that, right? They maybe thought that the robbers were still around, that if they stayed in the same place where they were for too long, that they too would end up like that, that guy, and so they, they just hurried along. Maybe that was the reason. Maybe they were too busy. Maybe they had an appointment at the temple that they needed to get to, and they just figured somebody else would take care of this, this man. Or quite honestly, maybe they just didn't really care that much about, about people. But we don't get the reason here, right? But what we do see is that these two men that presumably should have helped, that, that everybody would have thought would have helped, they didn't. And then the third man comes along. And this man is a, a Samaritan. Now, to the, the, the first-time listeners of this parable, uh, the Samaritans hated the Jews, and the Jews hated the Samaritans. This nearly dead man that's laying on the side of the road is, is Jewish. And so if anybody was not going to stop and help this man, it, it was going to be this Samaritan. Why would the Samaritan man help somebody that he presumably hated and, and that also hated him? And yet, you see him stop. It says he took pity on the man. He bandaged his wounds. He put him on his own animal, which, which he had been riding on, and he walked him into town. Not only that, he checked him into a, a hotel, and, and he, he paid for him to be there and said, I'll come back and give you more money so that this man can stay here and rest up. This is the parable which drives Jesus to a question that really only has one conclusion. He says, which of these three men were a neighbor to this man? And he says, the one who had mercy. And Jesus responds, go and do likewise. And so in undeniable fashion, it shows us, this parable shows us, what it means to be a neighbor and who our neighbor is. That, that our neighbor is, is not just the person that lives next to us, not just our coworker in the cubicle next to us. Our neighbor is, is everyone. It's your friend. It's your enemy. It's the person that you hold the door open for that, that you don't even know their, their name. All of these people are, are your, your neighbor. And Jesus commands us to love our neighbor as ourself. And so this command is to love all people indiscriminately. So, if anybody were going to love other people, if anybody ought to love other people, it, it ought to be Christians, right? Christians have the clear directive from Jesus himself to, to go and to love your neighbor as yourself, yet is that always the case? Do Christians always love their neighbor? Or, 
looking into my own heart, you look into your own heart, do we, we prefer to isolate ourselves from people? Or when an opportunity to help somebody comes off, we have a lot of different excuses. We, we make excuses to isolate ourselves from the possibility of having to, to help with somebody. It, we're too busy, you know. Uh, we're, we're too self-involved, maybe even just too lazy to, to help our, our neighbor. If, if we're honest with ourselves, we can maybe relate to the, the Levite and, and the priest, we don't know the reason why they, they walked by this man, but we can see times in our own life when, when we have not been the neighbor that we ought to have been. That we have not taken the opportunity to help somebody when that opportunity was placed in front of us. And, and so the question is, does this matter to, to God? Well, you know, it's kind of an obvious question, right? Of course it matters to God. God really cares about you loving your neighbor. He wouldn't have given the command if he, if he didn't care about this. He wants us to care for other people because he cares for other people. And we saw that in our Old Testament readings, right? In the, in the Old Testament reading of Leviticus, we see that, that God cares about the foreigner among us about the foreigner among the, the Israelites at the time. He did not want the foreigners to feel like they were ostracized from the community, they cut off from resources. He wanted them to be loved, just like people that resided in that, in that country as well. In Isaiah, he tells us that specifically he wants us to take care of the, the fatherless and, and the widows. He wants us to take care of, of all people. This matters to God. Now, now let me ask you this. If we don't love our neighbor, are we keeping that first command that that man skipped over? If we don't love our neighbors, are we loving God, giving glory to God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and, and strength? Of course, the answer is no. Those two commands are so interwoven, aren't they? To love God and love your neighbor. In Matthew, uh, Jesus talks this way. In Matthew 25, he's talking to the people and he's telling them about the sheep and the goats. This is a picture of the end times when he's going to separate the sheep who are the believers from the goats who are the unbelievers. To the goats, to the unbelievers, he says this, Whatever you didn't do for one of the least of these, you didn't do for me. And so loving God and loving your neighbor are so interconnected. But when you neglect the, the needs of others, when you neglect your neighbor, you're really neglecting your Lord and, and Savior. And so we get this parable, and we get a brief reaction from this man. You, you recall at the beginning, the, the man says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And in response to that, Jesus tells this parable, which is equally convicting to this man as it is to us. And he concludes the, the parable by saying, go and do likewise. This is an encouragement. And at this point, we're, we're still kind of wondering, what is Jesus doing here? It's the end of the parable, right? We don't, we don't get any more. But because we know Jesus, because we know what, what he says in his word, we can see what Jesus is doing here. Jesus is still leading this man. He knows that this man is not going to be able to do anything to inherit eternal life, just like we aren't able to do anything 
to inherit eternal life. But that's the conclusion that he wants this man to come to. That's the conclusion he wants us to come to. He wants us to come to the conclusion that we have not been a good neighbor and that we have not loved our neighbor as ourselves perfectly all the time or maybe even ever. But it's when we come to that conclusion that we are ready. Then we're ready to hear the comforting message of Jesus who was always the perfect neighbor, who always cared for other people, who always spent, was willing to spend time with other people. He was always selfless. He was always kind and caring and, and compassionate. He was always willing to continually give of himself. He was the perfect neighbor. And he did that as your substitute. He, he knew that you and I couldn't love perfectly and that, that we haven't and that we wouldn't. <laughs> and so he did it on, on our behalf. He loved in a way that we couldn't love. And we see ultimately that love on the cross, right? With his hands extended on the cross. He gave and gave and gave of himself, and he was even willing to give his own life. It is that love, that love that is perfect, and that love that fulfills the law for us. You heard it in, in Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 13 today. It said, love is the fulfillment of the law. The law has been fulfilled by Jesus, and because it has, he has won for you an inheritance. An inheritance that you didn't do anything for. Jesus worked for it. Jesus earned that inheritance, and he has given it to you. Eternal life, free of charge for you. You're forgiven, and, and heaven is yours. That, my friends, is our motivation. It's our motivation to be the best neighbor that a neighbor has ever had. Jesus as our Savior and our substitute is our motivation to go and do likewise. Imagine what that might look like. Imagine what that might look like in a congregation that, that seeks to be and is committed to being the best neighbor that a neighbor has ever had. That's a pretty awesome congregation, right? <laughs> Not only is that congregation a blessing to one another, but it's a blessing to the community in which it resides. That's what we want to be here at Sure Foundation. We want to be committed to being the best neighbor a neighbor ever had. And not only will that be a benefit to our congregation here, a wonderful community where we get together and worship our God, where we learn more about Him, where we do life together, but will also be a blessing to the community of, of Brandon as well, like a ripple effect in Brandon. Being the best neighbor a neighbor ever had will, will have uh, far-reaching effects outside of these walls as well. We have the motivation. <laughs> we have the motivation given to us in the Word. Jesus has given to us his forgiveness. He has opened heaven to us. That's the motivation for us to go out and be the greatest neighbor a neighbor has ever had. God bless us as we seek to do just that. Amen.